Hey, Murdoch, have you ever heard of the Didache? The Didache? Man, get out of here and go read your Bible. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Mirlich. So we're recording today at my house because neither of us wanted to go into the cold studio facility that we have at our church. It was cold. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. It's again that conversation we had like a few episodes ago about like California's cold is nothing like the rest of the world, but to us it's like really freezing. Yeah, I think when I looked at the thermostat, it was like it's 59 degrees or something in there. Yeah. But it's freezing. That's cold. I mean, it's it, we don't have to get in icicles. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Antarctic. Yes, yeah. we're, you ever seen that where there's just like the little mini icicles coming out of the guy's nose? Yeah, that, that's when I was in there. Yeah. You're like, you want to be at my house? My my hands were frozen to my phone. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I've even heard it on some of the episodes uh, where we recorded, and it's cold. Like the chatter in the background from our teeth when we're not talking. It's probably mainly me, but it's like noise and it's just like man it must have been really cold in there so yeah uh we're recording today at my house um there was some music playing in the background uh, i don't know if it cut off or not but if you hear it we're having a party over here so music planes probably some sirens coming up i mean that happens at the church as well yeah the chickens the dog chicken dog well yeah. the dog's asleep right now in his crate um but yeah you might hear the chickens they're laying eggs again so they might start squawking but that's what's happening here right now Right now on your church friends podcast. Um, one thing before we got get into it, um, we just had the 100th episode, and that was really cool. I really enjoyed uh, that live audience feel. I, mm-hmm. I think it brought like just a different sound and dynamic to everything. Uh, what was really cool, and I might just uh, pull the clip of it, was the live audience clapping. Like that made the intro feel so much yeah, better. Yeah, <laughs> made the intro feel better. I said something and everybody started clapping. I was like, man, Chris never claps for me. No, <laughs> <laughs> he just laughs they, at me. They were actually paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I'm normally just here thinking about what I'm gonna say next. <laughs> right, and then the interaction from the fan was uh, everyone listening was super cool. Um, so it was a really fun episode. Um, I really thought that you're gonna say, man, after doing that live show, just wanted to put it out here for anybody. If you want to book us, <laughs> we are available. Oh, that too. Yeah. If you want us to come visit your uh, local church and share with whatever thing you think. You yeah, we've covered a lot of topics. So yeah. if there's something you want to hear more on for, yeah, for your group, let us know. If there's something you want to hear two morons on, yeah. <laughs> That's not what I said. <laughs> Email us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. All right. Let's, uh, let's finish the Didache. Yeah. All right. So uh, just a quick review. So that way, as we get into it, um, if this is like the first time you're listening to the show, you understand where we're at. Uh, It's a short early Christian manual on morals and church practices. Uh, Chapters 1 through 6 describe the two ways, uh, the way of life and the way of death. They include uh, quotations from the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 7 through 15 contain instructions on baptism, fasting, the Eucharist, which is just communion, and how to treat apostles, prophets, bishops, and deacons. And then chapter 16 is a prophecy of the Antichrist and the second coming. Um, and then just some quick facts about the Didache. Uh, I think you mentioned this last week. It had a strong Jewish influence, mm-hmm. um, and the, especially the opposing idolatry that's really in there. Uh, there's significant uh, Christology in there. Jesus as the Messiah, the line of David. Uh, Jesus is called Lord. That's Didache 4.1 and 10.16. 
the high view of the Eucharist, which we'll get into today, it's like the high point of church worship is what they kind of consider the Eucharist. Uh, there's a relationship between the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew could have drawn from the Didache. The Didache could have drawn from Matthew. Both of them could have drawn from something else. And when we're thinking that, because Didache looking at being more of a church manual, mm-hmm. or is Matthew like, oh, that's Jesus. I thought the church came after. These documents got written a couple decades after, a few decades yeah. after, right? So, like, as far as which one got written first, because, like, Paul didn't get converted even until after the church started going, but they look that his letters were probably written before the Gospels. So just throwing mm-hmm. that concept out there about yeah. who's drawing from who on stuff. Yeah, and all of it, too, at the end of the day, was still written way close to the events of what happened oh, yeah, compared yeah. to other writings, uh, especially ancient writings that were like, uh, who is it? Is it Plato and then Socrates, or is it Socrates and then Plato? I can't remember. But we only know one of the, uh, if it's Plato. I think we only know Socrates from Plato. Right. So it's like, we don't even have his writings, but we have what Socrates said about Plato, Mm -hmm. but Plato is like looked at as legit. So uh, there's that to it. Uh, Then there's a list of 40 specific sins in the Didache. Uh, There were fragments of the Didache because it was all over the early church. Yeah, so that's it. That's the facts that I have. So there's fragments of it. It was all over the early church. So uh, we covered... I think I said there's six major themes. We covered theme one, which was moral instructions last episode, which is really good. I really, we did a thing. We did it. We, <laughs> the moral instructions. So, uh, <laughs> is it moron instructions? The moral back on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we're going to cover the last uh, five. Real quick, because you said if this is somebody first hopping into the podcast, that made me think about it. Like we're talking about the Didache and you gave this like little background. It was lost for a long time. So you said it was early church writing, but it was lost until what, 18? 18- 70? 1860? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I'd have to look at my old notes. So it was referred to a lot in the early church. They had it, and then it disappeared for several hundred years. So if you're like, I thought this was a Christian podcast. They're talking about some random thing. It is a Christian writing. It was just lost for a long time. A really long time. And now we're into it. And now we're back into it. Welcome (laughs) to it. And so let's go over baptism. You want to start us off with it? Yeah. um, I'm just going to read the four verses because it's short. Uh, concerning baptism, baptize thus, having first rehearsed all these things, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost in running water. But if thou hast no running water, baptize in other water. And if thou canst not in cold, then in warm. If thou hast neither, pour water three times on the head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And before the baptism, let the baptizer and him who is to be baptized fast and any others who are able, and thou shalt bid him who is to be baptized to fast one or two days before. So I've got thous and shalts and different stuff because I just went to the didache.com. I know you've got the printed one that's got more updated language. Mm-hmm. I can't be bothered to pull up the other stuff, <laughs> but I think it made sense. Yeah. I'm like, hey, get baptized. Here's how you do it. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do it in running water. No running water. Do it in cold water. If not, do it in warm. If you just don't even have water, just drop it three times on their head. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I really liked about uh, the Didache's way of baptism is that it seemed that there was way more flexibility in baptism mm-hmm. um, as long as it was done in the name of the Trinity. Uh, as we're like today, it, it almost seems like we've put a little bit more of like you must be done. Fully immersed. Yeah, yeah, fully immersed. And even like at our church, I think we use warm water. So we've already broke rule one of the Didache. It's not running. It's not cold. Yeah. yeah so it just We're seems one like- step away from just 
uh, christening people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it seemed like there was just more flexibility with it. And uh, like almost the requirements to just do the thing uh, were changed or lessened because it was like, hey, we understand with where you're at and what part of the world you may be at that some of these things may not be accessible to you. Uh, but what you really do is you do need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I didn't look in, so this is just completely off the cuff. It just came to my mind, um, just about because you were talking about flexibility. I think I remember when they were talking about baptism on the Lord of Spirits. Did you ever listen to that episode? Yes. And I think when they were talking about like, oh, the running water and the cold water and whatever, like it was really not like a rule type thing. It was more of like a practicality matter. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you recall what was really around that? Uh, not really, no. But I remember they were talking about it, yeah. Yeah, they gave some pretty good... Hey, they had a thing that I'm not presenting to you right now, but just in the concept of you're talking about flexibility, it really was like, hey, if you have running water, like that's the preferable thing, but just understanding different scenarios, you don't, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that really caught me off guard, though, too, was the fast before baptism. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. They're like, hey, if you're going to do this fast two days before baptism, um, the person who's baptizing and the people, person who's get baptized. Also, if anyone else wants to join in with them. And uh, um, it's hard to really look at that and be like, uh, I guess let me phrase it this way. Looking at that, it just seems to be like there's so much more of an emphasis on what baptism is that Mm -hmm. like going into it, you had to fast. Um, As where today, I've never in any church have heard someone say, at least in the churches I've been to, say, uh, before you get baptized, you need to fast two days. Um, Especially nowadays, we're like baptizing kids, we're baptizing teenagers, so like they're not putting that onto people. Um, but it is interesting that that's there, and I don't want to over spiritualize the concept of what it's doing, but I think like it puts you in the right state almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll bring it up as a point of consideration. I'm because we don't follow the Didache in our church, or even if, you know, not looking at that. But I bring it up as like, hey, here's the thing of preparation and fasting is a thing. And I'll, whenever I'm talking through someone with baptism, I bring it up. I don't force it. Um, I have, because of this, been like, okay, the day before, if I'm baptizing someone, like, I'm aware of this. And I have like a level of conviction about it. So like, I'll tend to just like prepare myself with that. But yeah, I mean, just looking at big spiritual moments that are going on and just fasting being like plugged in with that. Um, I know this is probably way overboard, but you look at Jesus before he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. There's like a 40-day fasting, you know, that Mm -hmm. happens before that moment in his life. And I think that when we tie in fasting as preparation um, of a spiritual moment, yeah, it just seems like the right thing to do. Yeah. 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 The the other thing that it seemed like that baptism was really important, um, it seemed like it was a prerequisite before getting into communion. Uh, it seemed to be held way more of an importance than how we see it today. Uh, I think a lot of times we get, you know, told that baptism, it's a symbol of your faith, you know. It's a, well, depending on your denomination, you're being yeah, called that. Uh, but it's like, it's a symbolic thing, and it's just that. Uh, but, I, you know, just reading it and studying into baptism more, I, I really see it more as an agreement of a signature on a contract. You know, it's like, this is... Me getting baptized is like me signing my name on a contract saying, I'm going to follow these things, which is really cool that the Didache's first six chapters focus on the way of life and the way of death. Like, here's how you're going to live. This is how you're going to be. You agree to do this. 
sign your name on the dotted line by getting baptized, and then we can move forward with the other things. Yeah, well, during different parts in church history, you know, wherever the locales are and how they go through stuff, because every church has done things different, um, taking kind of that concept of those first six verses as almost like a catechism, you know, training for mm-hmm. somebody coming in. It wasn't like, hey, here's like just the general idea of it. It was, no, we want to see some of the fruits of this. Mm. We actually want to see some repentance from things. We want to see you living in this way as we get to know you in that. And we're not going to put you through the initiation rite of a baptism. When you're talking about the contract, Mm -hmm. it's like an initiation rite into the church, right? To where it's like, yeah, we're really marking this thing. Like, this is your entrance. This wasn't like, oh, I've learned about Jesus. I don't want to follow him. It's like, okay, that's good. So let's see if the Spirit's really taking hold and you're following through, and now we'll allow you entrance into the church. And it wasn't a thing of keeping people out of the church, because it's that thing of, no, the invitation to join the church is open to everybody, but here's the way we go about accepting Mm -hmm. people in, you know? It's like, no, you can be fully accepted, but follow this path. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, if you're going to be part of this covenant and this way of life, uh, then these are the things you have to do, and then, yeah, go get baptized. Um, Can you imagine people going through this full process of repenting from all of these dead works and sins and getting fully walking on this mode of life, and not fully, you know, mm -hmm. the fruits and the seeds of it are there, and then fasting, and then they get baptized, and that's how your Christian walk starts? Yeah, that would be way different than what we see today. (laughs) Uh, Especially... Take that, flip it, and reverse it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the way I'm talking right now seems to be like I'm tiptoeing around it uh, because I don't want to just come out and say that I think we have it backwards. You know, a lot of churches today, and being part of a church and on the board of a church, um, you just get told, like, we want new people in after they're in here, then they get baptized, and then they do all these other things. Uh, but it's like what you just said. It's like, wait, we, we kind of have it backwards. We should get new people in, see if they're living the lifestyle, have them do the fasting part. And because then, it's a service to them yeah, even. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. That's As the, the church, we have the responsibility of discipling, mm-hmm. right? So that's where it's like, no, no, here's this process. You're coming in. You don't know nothing. So like, we're going to walk you through these steps because it's the best thing for you and it's the best thing for the community. You know what I mean? And that, yeah, you have that, those levels of accountability and all that stuff there. I think it's just to uh, learning more. It seems like, and this is a lot of thoughts even before I've read the Didache, was uh, it seems that we've been told for a very long generation that a lot of these things were symbols mm-hmm. when in reality they were sacred. Yeah, they're rituals. And there is something about a ritual that you are taking part in something that transcends the thing that you are doing. And I get that in a way somebody might mean that by a symbol. Like, oh, no, well, it's this, but it means something different. But I think that taking part in a ritual is more of a transformative experience. Like something is happening to you through that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, I guess that's where I was trying to head with this. Uh, the way they viewed the baptism, it was just, it was more, it was, uh, it was really important. It wasn't just a symbol of faith. It wasn't just a this. It was an actual ritualistic contract signing and it was it it is a symbolic representation of what the transformation in our life should be right but it just doesn't stop there it goes beyond that it, now it's like i did the thing i go out and i change i've agreed to this and and then you're held up to those two 
to the to the covenant laws, right? You're held mm-hmm. up to the, like, if I made this decision to join this, now I understand that there's two ways to live. I have to live this way in obedience, and if I don't, then I'm actually going this way towards disobedience. Yeah, and you bring in covenant, right? That's a whole thing that I tend to get on about when we present the gospel to people. Is it Jesus when he was saying he was going to the cross? Like my blood is being shed out as a covenant. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the new covenant and how much of the whole hope of the Old Testament, the old covenant, was the new covenant. And just like we don't seem to preach, oh, here's the new covenant. Here's a new covenant that God is making with man. And do you want to enter into this covenant? Because even that language changes it. Because then it's like, oh, baptism as the signing on the contract, as you were right. saying, into that covenant. I know that. Um, well, I know that we got to move on to the rest of the stuff, but looking at really turning into, no, here's a symbol of what happened and stuff, that's can be a kickback. Not so much maybe against like the ritual of it and something happening, but I know that some people feel a way about when they're saying, no, this is when your sins get washed away. Hmm. Or here's when you're forgiven of those things. And different denominations have different views. I think that for denominations like hold really to it's a symbol it's like no this is not your sins getting washed away it's not the act of this that brings forgiveness into your life you know so it's like i can get when you get into those theological debates i was like oh let's look at this particular thing how do we feel like no let's put it against this particular thing but i think that it misses the point of like here's an experience that you as a human can go through in your relation with god yeah yeah i really like that uh let's go to the third theme uh prayer prayer yeah prayer What's that? Uh, chapter 8. That starts with fasting, sir. I know, but it gets into some yeah, prayer. Yeah. Do not let your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but you fast on Wednesday and Friday. So this, again, is going back to like the last episode where I'm like, I fast Sunday to Monday, sometimes here and there. So apparently I was doing it like the hypocrites. I got to change my day to, to a Wednesday or a Friday. You're being hypocrites. <laughs> Hypocrites. Not that guy on our commercials. Yeah, he is. (laughs) Uh, And do not pray as the hypocrites, but as the Lord commanded uh, in his good news, pray thus, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven, so also on earth. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into trials, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power and the glory for all time. Pray thus three times a day. Yeah, so within that section, it's like, okay, not only is there fasting, but you're saying that there's two particular days that we should be fasting, which I think that, yeah, that lines up pretty good with when you look at Jesus and where his disciples were at. And even when John's disciples came, like, hey, how come you guys don't fast? Like, right, what's right. going yeah, on, right? Yeah. And Jesus like, because I'm here. They mm-hmm. will. It's like, oh, here's how that would happen. Uh, verse two, and just like, here, here's the Lord's Prayer. There's a couple little uh, word flippers, flips around in there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's interesting, but it's familiar. And then verse three, pray that three times a day. Like, hold on. Right. (laughs) Now you're putting in some more rigidity on this thing that I'm not used to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what caught me off guard looking at it. It was like, pray this three times a day, because we're told uh, a lot in church today about uh, the formuleticness of a prayer. Like, it doesn't have to be the same words or repetitiveness, um, but it has to be sincere from the heart. uh, And you know, the three times a day thing, like, well, you don't have to be so rigid about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually made me kind of stop and just sit down and, and like check myself on it because I, other than I just got told that, um, and, I, and I think it's a lot of fight back from what I would assume be 
the split of what the Catholic Church mm -hmm. is doing to what we do. No, we don't have to be so ritual about saying these things over and over again. Even then, it really wasn't the Reformation, because when you look at the Reformers, they would probably hold to a lot more of that rigidity and say it was fine. <laughs> like right. It came over time of yeah, like just when the time. split got more split. Mm -hmm. yeah, And split more. But yeah, split it, it's more. coming from that. I agree with you. But some of our denominations today can tend to think like, oh, no, this is what Protestantism is. And it's like, maybe your flavor. But if you go to other denominations or back in time, a lot of these things that we might push back against, because, oh, that seems really Catholic or rigid. It's like, hmm. Be interesting to see the timeline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that it really did spark, though, was like uh, when I was talking to Justine about it, she was like, wait, didn't Daniel pray three times a day? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but there actually was no law. Daniel was just doing it. Uh, but then it, it was starting to break down why pray this prayer. Mm -hmm. Why this one? Because Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Uh, and a lot of times, and I think we've even covered it on the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't necessarily saying that you had to repeat this. But it was like, pray in this fashion, in this kind of thing where you honor God first and you, yeah, you acknowledge who template. he is. Yeah, as a template. Um, but then really looking at the sermon or the, the Lord's prayer, um, it almost hit me like, there's a lot of things in here that if I just said this three yep. times, it would change my perspective mm -hmm. throughout the day. You know, it's a quick kind of like, and maybe this is what their point was. It's a quick kind of reminder to get your brain backed and locked in on God. Where do you start off? I acknowledge who God is. Uh, I need to forgive people. Um, God, keep me away from that temptation because I've already been awake for 12 hours and temptation has come in plenty and lead me away from that. And then I like the way this one ends with the yours is the power and glory for all time. Um, so then it's made me think like, maybe it's not bad just to say something quickly three times to kind of just restructure the brain well the thing is is just like are you are you actually praying that you know because for me i can look at those words like i couldn't come up with better words than the lord's prayer yeah it hits all of the things that need to hit it checks all the boxes what else like what extra words do i need to put in it to make it sound different or particular or whatever towards like when i say lead me not into temptation or trial right just like that's a general thing that in that day, I know what that is. Or in that moment, I know what that is. Do I need to say that thing? Or is me praying that thing, me praying that thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else with that one? Just that three times a day. Um, Muslims pray five times a day. So we're getting off easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, really, as I've talked, a lot of what I find younger men when they end up getting introduced to Islam is they actually like the rigidity mm -hmm. and like that structure and like that there's a dedication and commitment that not only they are making, but others are making as well. And it brings people into that joint commitment together. Um, that I feel over the years, I've fielded a lot of questions about that. And even when I studied into Islam, like I really appreciated those levels of commitment, different things that would happen. So taking this on as pray three times a day, Again, you don't want the dedicated to be in the Bible, so we won't say that it's forced. But I feel like it's a pretty good thing for you and all of your Christian friends to be able to join in on. There's like, no, hey, let's all make a commitment to all pray at these times. I, I had nothing else. And then you said that rigidity in the structure that young men liked getting into Islam. Because mm -hmm. um, Justine, being a teacher, uh, we talk a lot about uh, teaching, you know, me being a teacher in the sense of like teach Bible stuff. She mm -hmm teaches at 
a school district. Um, but the one thing she always brings it back to with kids is that they, they crave structure. Yep. And that most people crave structure in their life. And then really just looking at this in the concept of if this is like, hey, you're new to the faith. Here's your 101 instruction booklet that you need to read. Um, one of the big issues people get into when they come into Christianity is. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how am I supposed to pray? Yeah. And to be like, okay, you have no template on how to pray. Here's God's template. Just do this three times a day. And eventually that will morph into a good communication pattern of how you're supposed to pray. And, and then your prayers will start becoming your prayers in your own. But uh, seeing it as a, if this is where to start, like, just do this. Start here. This, like we were saying earlier, it ticks all the box. It checks all the things. So let's start here. Yeah, I think that to do that three times and then, I mean, other scripture says pray without ceasing, right? And all those mm -hmm. things and, you know, let your supplications and thanksgiving and all those things and you're praying specifically for some something or someone. So like, hey, do these three and you're covered. Like that's just hitting your rhythm, mm -hmm. right? That's your, your three meals a day. That's like, you know, that's just what you do. And then on top of that, you learn to do the other things. I'm glad you brought up meals too, because uh, the chapter 10 of the Didache, it's a, there's a prayer of thanks for after eating. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, growing up in a Christian household, we always prayed before we ate. Uh, now, having my own family, we hardly pray when we eat. We just kind of start eating. But reading that, I really like the thanks after eating. Yeah. After you're satisfied with food, give thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is a good kind of like reminder of like, uh, I have something that's filled my stomach. Thank you, God, that I was able to do that. I think, uh, you know, one of the ways I prayed growing up, and it was always for food. It was like, Chris, pray for dinner. And I was like, all right, uh, God, thank you for this food. Let it be blessing nourishing to my body. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, especially more recently, it was like, why am I praying that way? Like, mm -hmm. seriously, this Big it's Mac. It's passed along to all of us. <laughs> this Big Mac, I'm like, God's going to bust a miracle and make this thing that I... I'm eating that I know isn't the healthiest. Bless this food to my body. Is going to, you know, nurture it somehow and make it a blessing. And in reality, it's like, no. But if I'm thankful to God just for the meal that I have, it changes the whole kind of landscape and the wording and actually the appreciation of what's actually happening. And then the last thing I have for the prayer part is the, there are two communion prayers in uh, chapter 9, and it's verses 1 through 4. Uh, but we could get more into that when we jump into the Eucharist. You want to take that one? Hello, my name is Pietro, creator and founder of the Holy Spirit Lie Detector. Are you struggling to discern truth from falsehood? Do you feel overwhelmed by conflicting end times predictions? Like who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? And what is pre, mid, and post? Are you unsure of which preacher to trust? Well, thanks to the Holy Spirit Lie Detector app, you won't have that problem anymore you'll be able to decipher between what's authentic and what's false. For instance, if there's a traveling teacher who asks if they can stay with you, maybe one, two, three, four days, the Holy Spirit lie detector will notify you that that person is a false teacher. Or if there's a well-known preacher who's constantly asking for money or something for their use only, the Holy Spirit lie detector will let you know that they are a false teacher. Now when you're watching that popular so-called Christian prophet on the YouTube and they say there are all these signs of the second coming of Jesus, 
that really don't line up with scripture and seem more like speculation. The Holy Spirit lie detector will let you know that they are a false teacher. Never worry again if that teacher's theology of creation, Jesus, or who wrote the books of the Bible is accurate or not because the Holy Spirit lie detector will let you know the truth. So what are you waiting for? Download the Holy Spirit lie detector wherever you purchase apps on your smart device and feel confident that the Holy Spirit has your back. Yeah, so you said communion and then you said Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Uh, I just learned that this year. Yeah. Well, not this year, but 2022. And Eucharist uh, just means Thanksgiving. I learned that one last year. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I had learned it, but when I reheard it last year, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, there's steps to it. So considering the Eucharist, do it this way. First, concerning the cup. And then, so basically, hey, when you take the cup, say, we give thanks to thee, our Father, for the holy vine of David, thy child, which thou didst make known to us through Jesus, thy child, to thee be the glory forever. They're just like, hey, here's literally how you said it was a manual. Mm -hmm. like, All right, so concerning Eucharist, here's what you're going to do with this thing. Um, which, when again, when you're looking at that, yeah, there was these gatherings, but there was people meeting in like some Christians would meet at synagogues when it was in those Jewish areas, but then as it went out to the Gentiles and then meeting each other's homes and, you know, different cities going on. So to be able to equip a lot of people with, here's how you do this thing is good. Um, but yeah, there's the cup and it says, considering the broken bread, we give thee thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge which thou didst make known to us through Jesus, thy child, to thee be the glory forever. As this broken bread was scattered upon the mountains, but was brought together and became one, so let thy church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into thy kingdom. For thine is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. But let none eat or drink of your Eucharist except those who have been baptized in the Lord's name. For concerning this also did the Lord say, Give not that which is holy to the dogs. It's a good way to end that chapter. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but there's the prayer. And then so there's like requirements to communion, and one of them was baptism. Mm -hmm. Like in order to take communion, you had to be baptized. Um, you brought up that a lot of uh, the early church was doing this at homes, and uh, uh, there's a church that I know of that they talked about what they do with communion. They never do it in their main service. Mm -hmm. They only do it in the life groups of the church, and I thought that was such a good concept. Like it was such a better way of doing communion than kind of. The everyone who's here, but if you don't feel, if you're not a Christian, you can't do it type thing. It's like if you're in a life group, usually that's the stage where you're like already have done the baptism. You're moving into this. Normally, you're already past chapters one through six or one through seven. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a good place for communion. And it's such a smaller uh, environment that I feel like it would just have more of an impact than like that kind of big environment that we do it in the, in the big church kind of sense yeah i get what you're saying and i think that that's where even though there's this as a manual and even though we have the scriptures how i said earlier like different churches have done it all kinds of different ways like i can get the smaller thing but i'm pretty sure i told you i don't know if i talked about it on on the podcast though when i went to that um greek orthodox church last month two months ago oh yeah yeah yeah, did I talk about that? On the no, podcast? not on the podcast. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah, so I went, and the whole... I feel like I did talk about it on the podcast. I don't know. But, like, the whole gearing of their service 
is towards the Eucharist. Mm. Like that's the point of the thing. It's not come in and sing songs and here's a sermon and stuff. Like there's a little sermon at the end and stuff, but the whole ritual of the thing, which they were speaking literally in a different language, but they're coming through and like before the service, because I got there for the service before the service, they were swinging around the incense and stuff and purifying the room and all of those things. But then they came and like the whole process was literally to prepare the Eucharist and prepare the people for the Eucharist. And because I got one of the little pamphlets, because I talked with somebody I was reading on there, it's like, hey, if you're here, if you're not Orthodox, don't come up and take the Eucharist. However, there is some of the bread will be blessed, but not in the same way. And you can come up after the service for that. And yeah, so when it came time for it, I just sat there and everybody got up and took it. Except there was another guy that I could tell through the service. He was kind of like me. He also <laughs> didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And he got up and stood in line. And he was like the last one in line. And I could tell that the, the father there was basically telling him like, hey, are you Orthodox? And uh-huh. he's like, no. And he's like, you can go sit down. We'll give you bread after. <laughs> um, which I was like, whew, I'm glad I read that yeah. thing. Because I would have been right there next to him. And I was like, what did he say? Oh, man. All right, let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the thing of like, I didn't feel excluded. Yeah. It very much was like, oh, here's the church doing a thing that's for the church. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. Like, this wouldn't mean anything to, I mean, I'm a Christian. So I was like, I want to take part with you guys, but I respected what they were doing. Um, so like, I, I think that it doesn't need to feel exclusionary on that. And even for people who are coming to look on at what the church is doing, then that's like that. Oh man, once I get baptized, I get to take part in that too. Like, you know, you're seeing the steps in front of you towards it. Um, but then even between that, when looking, um, I know in the New Testament, it talks about like the love feast that would happen. So even this ritual versus the big meal of getting together and you're talking about being in people's homes versus like small groups or big groups. I just think it can happen in all of those ways. It can happen within your home with just your family. Yeah. 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 And I think that's the part I, I was really trying to get to with it was that it just seems like communion seems to be only allowed at this one point done by a specific mm. person. Um, if you're not a licensed minister, you can't perform the act of communion. You can't read that beginning prayer or quote First Corinthians, whichever chapter it is that has it or whatever. Uh, you know, you have to be a specific person. I remember at the church we serve at, uh, we started doing communion from the young, with the young adult service mm-hmm. uh, weekly. And that got kicked back as to why we were doing weekly communion. I was just kind of like, hey, you never ran this by us. And I was like, oh, I thought we were just uh, yeah, the church. Yeah, the church <laughs> could just have yeah. communion. And I think that that's really where I was trying to head with it. Uh, so I'm glad you brought it all that way because it did kind of clarify my jumbled thoughts of like uh, the requirements for uh, having communion in the Didache were uh, be baptized, confess your sins, and you couldn't be in a disagreement with someone or hold a grudge. Outside of that, where it was done, how it was done, by who it was done, didn't matter as long as it was done and as long as it was the focal point of the worship. I really liked how you said that with the Orthodox Church was like this. They were driving home to mm-hmm. this. Um, and a lot of times we don't drive home to that. We just kind of do it. Yeah, because for so much of the early church, which would be the Didache, it's like, here's the whole point. Jesus came and shed his blood and gave of his body. And he's the Messiah and he gave of himself that we would have salvation and to be able to come into the kingdom and into this covenant with God. And we will keep doing this until we are with him again. And just like, that's the whole point of this thing that we're doing. So like, yeah, that was the very central thing. I think it was a, uh, I can't remember. I, I did a little 
dive into the Eucharist and some like Catholic and Orthodox things a while back. I know Hank Hanegraaff and then um, Francis Chan. Francis Chan. They were talking through some stuff, and it might have been through them or another video that I watched. But they were just talking about the history of when the communion table got moved from being the center point and putting the pulpit there instead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because when you go into Catholic churches or Eastern Orthodox, like, it's all about the table. That's what's center, and, like, that's what the focal point is. But then, like, I forget when it said, but they were like, no, they they put it off to the side. Mm -hmm. It was still in the room, but now it was about the preaching. And then eventually, like, that table just disappeared, and you bring out the communion as, as see fit, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, just the evolution of that. Which is so funny that uh, in some senses, the the communion has become uh, ritualistic. And like we do it only at this time and in this way and in this formula. But then going back to prayer, it was like, no, no, no. Uh, you don't have to be so ritualistic when you pray. You don't have to do that <laughs> yeah. three times. You know, like where we've kind of veered in some areas and where we've kind of gone off track as uh, history has progressed in Christianity is just really interesting to me, especially now reading a document that is like, this may have been written before most of the gospel. And this is what people were talking about. This, this is how you do, this is how you live the way. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's interesting more than anything. It's just interesting where we've kind of like, no, yes, no, yes. Okay. We'll keep that part. Um, and then where we've almost legalized something to like, wait, are you a licensed minister? No, you can't give communion. You can't perform communion. You're just a young adults pastor. No, no, no. You can't perform communion. You're not qualified. And it's like, where does that qualification stop and end? And, And where do we hold the bar? Like in what areas? Uh, that's just what's become interesting to me. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know what I'm thinking right now? That this is going to be a third episode type of thing happening. <laughs> we still have several chapters left, and I'm pretty sure we're... Oh, we've only got two more themes. Yeah, but you know how many chapters that is? We're on chapter 10, and there's... Oh, I've covered 14. 16 chapters. That's where you confess your sins. Anyways, that <laughs> prayer of um, after your food, mm-hmm. for me, when I was studying through and looking at that, I was tying that into, like, that's why I brought up that love yeah, feast the, concept, yeah. is that this was talking about, cool, so here's how you present the Eucharist and you do that. And then after you're satisfied with everything you've eaten, because it was a meal that was had, it wasn't mm-hmm. the little break off of a cracker. It was like, that happened at the meal, but we've just stripped everything away other than like, you know, that, that main part. But that's where when I was studying, I got it too. Cool. After you're satisfied with that, give thanks. And here's how you give thanks. Um, were you studying something different? They're like, no, this is just a general. Uh, I looked at it. Rub it up, job. Thanks for the grub. Yeah, <laughs> I, I looked at yeah. it that way. I, I, I knew it was that. I just applied it to this area of my life and thought like we, for myself, especially mm. in an area mm. where don't be so ritualistic. You don't have to pray before your meals. Uh, so coming at my own life in this, right. uh, I was like, dang, we should pray after the meal. Like, we should give thanks. After I'm satisfied and I feel good about it, I should. Uh, but yeah, that that was also part of the love feast of it all. Yeah. Yeah, just giving thanks. And some of the stuff in there is, um, we give thanks to you that you've come down to tabernacle in our hearts. Then it goes on to say things like, you created all things for your namesake and you gave food and drink to men for their enjoyment. Um, above all, we give thanks to you that you're, you are mighty, to you be the glory forever. Remember, Lord, thy church to deliver it from all evil and make it perfect in your love and gather it together in holiness from the four winds to thy kingdom from which thou hast prepared for it. Thine is the power and the glory forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know I just kind of went through it, but yeah, just a general Thanksgiving. I don't know yeah. if there's anything in there that you were like, you know, this is 
this is so meaningful. It is meaningful, but... <laughs> yeah, no, there was the, that. I want to get it to the teacher's part now. Which that section ends with, but suffer the prophets to hold Eucharist as they will. So now we're getting into this thing of prophets. Yeah, and teachers and everything. So that's 11 yeah. and 12 is just the, the teacher thing. And it takes us to, is one of my favorite segments on our podcast is, uh, you might be a false teacher if, and the Didache actually gives us some of those examples. So you, I was like, I don't remember that episode. You don't remember that episode <laughs> where we did it? You might be a false teacher if, uh, according to Didache, if the teacher teaches a different doctrine. So that's verses uh, uh, 1 through 2 in chapter 11. Uh, if they overstay their welcome. Um, so we talked about that in one of the previous episodes. Like, hey, you can stay two nights, but if he tries to stay three nights, he's a false teacher. He's a false prophet. You got to mm-hmm. kick him out. Uh, he's a bum trying to get a free meal, basically. Um, and then if they don't practice what they preach, then they're a false teacher. That's uh, verse 10 of chapter 11. And then if they ask for money, that's verse 6 of chapter 11. So if they're like, hey, uh, you need to give us some money, false teacher. Um, So these were like what the Didache was like warning people about like, hey, here are false teachers and here's how you're going to know them. And we've had this conversation a lot recently about counterfeits and false teachers, false prophets. Um, The thing about false teachers and false prophets is the counterfeit looks really darn good. Yeah, Uh, It's not an easy track. And here it's saying, here are some like, I guess, you know, like on the dollar bill, you know, the markers that they have, like mm-hmm. you take this marker and mark it, or there's this strip going down it now. And like, there's all these little ins and out to find it. Right. Uh, the Didache is like, here, here you go. Here's some simple ones. They teach a different doctrine. Uh, they overstay their welcome, which I just love. <laughs> uh, they don't practice what they preach. That's a simple thing. And then if they're asking for money, like these are just ways, especially for that time and culture, how you can tell someone is a false teacher. Yeah. Um... It's a weird thing because this thing of how you brought up like, oh, overstaying their welcome. I feel like the church was much more mobile, Mm -hmm. you know, with teachers coming and going. That's where I really am, again, linking this to it's an earlier document Mm -hmm. because you have the disciples going out and spreading the gospel and you're seeing churches getting started up. And it's not like, oh, no, like we are part of that church, but we're just kind of making our own church over here or whatever, you know, it's like, no, we're hearing the gospel for the first time. Somebody came in and like, hey, there's going to be more people coming through because, yeah, the church's body staying connected and whatnot. So here's how to uh, stay on guard for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I even think when it was like a overstaying your welcome, not asking for money and all the stuff, uh, when Jesus sends out the 12 and the mm-hmm. 72, like the instructions are like, take nothing with you. Yep. Go out, receive what's given to you as far as like food, stay where pe- you're welcomed. But if you're not, kick the dust off your feet. Uh, so I kind of even tied it in with that in my mind of like, oh, this is kind of maybe where they're getting some of those principles. If like, if this person's coming and asking for these things, they're they're not following those instructions. Mm-hmm. Any more? No, I think it's pretty straightforward there. All right, uh, chapter fifteen. Uh, I threw in the mix of with this too, um, so I will pull it up and try to read it. It says, uh, therefore, appoint for yourselves leaders, overseers, and servants worthy of the Lord. Meek men, not lovers of money. So there's that again. Truthful and approved. For they also minister uh, to you the ministry of the prophets and teachers. Therefore, do not despise them, for they are honorable men, together with the prophets and teachers. And do not reprove one another in wrath, but in peace, as you find in the good news. And let none speak with any who have done wrong to his neighbor, nor let him hear a word from you until he converts. 
but perform your prayers and kindness in all your acts as you find in the good news of our Lord. So that's chapter 15. Uh, and again, just talking about teachers and preachers and kind of where they stand and where they're at in the church and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be coming through some other biblical stuff that we have. And that's what I like about the Didache. It's like, as you're reading it, you're like, oh yeah, I can see where this is from there and where this is from that. Or again, if it's written before like a Paul's writing, you can then see where Paul's pulling from or where they're coming from. Like it's all kind of interconnected and intertwined. Yeah, which makes it good to have this document. And it's not like, I don't know, sometimes when there's new people with me, it's like, well, where should I start? What should I mm-hmm. do? It's like, start with the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. In short, you'll get in. There's Jesus. You'll get his teachings. You'll get that. It's just like, no, no, no. Here's, we've distilled it for you. Here's the teachings. Here's how to follow. Here's, you know, what this is. Um, even so far as to what leaders should look like. Yeah. And then 16? Before we go 16, I did want to bring up a couple things. We talked about, oh, don't let them stay with you. Mm-hmm. But there was a thing in 12. It says, if he wants to settle among you and has a craft, let him work for his bread. But if he has no craft, provide for him according to your understanding so that no man shall live among you in idleness because he is a Christian. But if he will not do so, he's making traffic of Christ. Beware of such. So like, cool, here's these travelers. And because they're on their mission and they're going around, like, he'll only stay a couple days. Like he's on his way to get to wherever. So like, help take care of him for a couple days. But then, hey, if he's liking it here, he's vibing with you guys, like whatever's going on. He should be working, mm-hmm. like not taking advantage of people. Because um, I feel like that can be a thing today to where you have people who don't really get involved so much in the work, so to speak, mm. other than, no, I'm just going to tell you some stuff. So you should provide for me. So I just want to bring that up because we said, don't let them stay, don't let them stay. But there is provision here if they want to stay. Yeah. But even in them staying, what that should look like. Uh, yeah, uh, let's go into the sixth part. Uh, sixth theme is the apocalypse. Here we go. Here it is. I'm going to read verses 1 of 2 of 16. Watch over your life. Do not let your lamp be quenched, and do not let your loins be ungirded. But be ready, for you have not known the hour which the Lord comes. But be frequently gathered together, seeking the things which are profitable for your souls. For the whole faith of your family will not profit you except you be found perfect at the last time so for me looking into it because it does then get into like false prophets false teachers and it it really does hit a lot of uh revelation kind of in Mm -hmm. a summary like it is a it is a quick guide to the book of revelation yeah in some ways yeah uh so it has a lot of that in there but what i really took out of this whole section for myself was um live life that's prepared for the lord's return Mm-hmm. Uh, verse one and two really stood out to me more than anything uh because when you get into like the rapture the return of the lord uh a lot of what we know today has just been muddied by a lot of wrong teachings uh for my generation it was the thief in the night videos for the next generation it was the left behind sagas that really just kind of confused us a lot um and really just a lot of teachers looking to like understand and like prophesy and make guesses and when jesus is coming back and in that i tried to be fair because like there are definitely people who you know went off and they were doing their thing but as an overall the teaching of the church just kind of like how this document was lost you know for a few hundred Mm -hmm. years and things it's just when different denominational things have been passed down or different doctrines and there's understanding and they might exist somewhat in a vacuum or unchallenged or different things i was like ah 
people who sincerely hold to those things and want to help others understand them as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, oh man, Tim LaHaye and, and Left Behind. He's like, this is his doctrine. He's like, I want people to be aware of what's coming. I'm like, I, I can see the validity in that. But just as we've talked about, when people get into a study of what end time stuff is, you see that, oh, that's not the only option for what that looks mm-hmm. like. And that's where I think that it gets muddy because, yeah, a lot of people, I've gotten people like, you're not a Christian if you don't believe that this is how the end times is going on. I yeah. Like, Man, I thought that the cross was helping. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's dependent on the second time he comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it's just, it's, it's when that philosophy has become such a hard edge thing uh, that we've muddied the water and we, we're just like, we, we're not seeing it. And to me, even in the book of Revelations or Daniel, anytime, and even Jesus, when he talks about the end times, uh, what you see a lot of is just be ready, be prepared for the Lord's return. Uh, we get stuck thinking that there can't be anything better in life than this, and we're not ready. Mm-hmm. And that lamp story at the beginning just instantly made me think of uh, don't let your uh, your lamp be quenched of uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Yeah. You know, when it was like they weren't ready. they Their lamp went out, and when the bridegroom came, they weren't ready to go there, and they were left out. And I guess for me, when I look at even apocalypse and end times things for myself to uh, not dilute, but to kind of just clear the water, um, it's easier for me to understand it as just be ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hope that's not an oversimplification. No, because I'm on the same page with you. I'm interested in this stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think with just kind of where I'm currently at with my levels of understanding of things, that it makes any difference to me. If it's a pre-trib rapture or post-trib, or if there's any rapture, or if there's, you know, where and when and all the stuff, like, I don't know how those specifics affect my life at all other than maybe having a somewhat understanding of them, because if they start to happen, I'm like, oh, okay, that's maybe how I should be interpreting that. Mm -hmm. But that still doesn't change the fact that from the day that I became a Christian, I'm just supposed to be following Jesus with everything that I can. Yeah. And that's what this is saying. It's just like, hey, time is short, so just make sure you're ready. Yeah. And what else do you really need to know? And that's where I get worried about things of when you mix all this fantastical teaching about end times and all these things are going to happen. And people are just like, I don't know. People are just all over the place with that stuff. But so focused on that and not focused on their own walk. Mm. And especially when I think about it, it's like when end time stuff gets preached, it tends to be taught in like, and even here talks about in the last days, false prophets and corruptors Mm -hmm. are going to be coming. Right. So people are saying it's the end times. So everything's really bad and getting worse. And I feel like there's not a level of reflection going, oh, I'm in a culture that's very bad and getting worse. I'm not special. I'm not immune to Mm. this. If everybody is sliding down the slope, am I going to notice how far I've slid down the slope? How ready am I, right? Like if I just look around, I might feel like, oh, I'm kind of ready compared to them while still allowing so much into my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just, we can look at different purity stuff just culturally that people can laugh at. I think that it was maybe in my great-grandparents' age, if a woman was to wear a bikini to the beach, she'd be arrested. Yeah. For, like, being insane. Like, why would you dress that way? And just, like, well, you're exposing yourself everywhere, right? But just, like, the idea, like, no, don't see. It's just, like, 
how far beyond that are we today? Mm-hmm. And just like we, I feel like there needs to be a recognition like, oh, if things are getting worse, then I really shouldn't be judging things by like, oh, it's okay compared to the other things I see. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's where I really dig into the scripture and see what holiness looks like. Go read the first six chapters of the Didache. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Like if things are getting worse, how far am I down that? Because uh, that puts it more back on to me instead of everything else around me. Yeah, because then it's yeah. that point, like, oh, man, it's the end times. Look at how bad everything's getting. Look at those evil people who are the really evil ones who are bringing it down. It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If it's really end times and he's coming, am I ready? Mm-hmm. Have I been quenched? Yeah. That's a uh, go and lock yourself in your room and pray for God <laughs> to reveal your heart to yeah. you type question. I have had like... There are things that I just need to cut out of my life and I have cut out. And I feel like that still is just getting uprooted. Like, doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's really this tough area of like you're saying, lock yourself in a room to pray and like, God, where am I falling short at? Where am I not ready? Where are the areas that can come in and derail me? Um, because those are the areas that I need to, like you said, make sure your loins girth. Make sure that well, that's the thing that ties around your waist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if it's not, you're going to fall, trip, and stumble. Um, and so, yeah, I, re- I really do like the concept more of just preparedness. And on the point of what you were saying, as far as like, I know I brought it up, lock yourself in your room. But what it says in verse 2, be frequently gathered together, seeking the things which are profitable mm-hmm. for your souls. And looking at that, am I part of a wicked generation? Do I even have people that I can frequently get together with and seek things that are profitable for our souls mm-hmm. is that what my time is spent doing with the people that i know there's an indicator right there and just like you want to be doing that you should be doing that that's what if you're not in a church where that's possible like go get a different church yeah or like change yourself because maybe you're the person that's not doing it but the second part for the whole time of your faith shall not profit you except you be found perfect at the last time it's another biblical concept about persevering till the end. Mm-hmm. And I need to leave that in God's mercy as far as what happens when we fall short at different times and, you know, when that looks like. But there's definitely a lot of scripture that talks about, hey, you need to persevere till the end. Yeah. And that if you fall off early or walk away early, I guess there's a thing about falling, but if you're walking away and again, where's the line on that? But that gets into our once saved, always saved conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode again. For me, just to wrap up everything, and then I'll let you uh, say your part on it, but how the Didache should be viewed today in the church. Um, it's such an amazing discovery because it gives us insight into the early church, how they viewed themselves, uh, their practices, and really their disciplines. Uh, Robert Kraft said, it's no wonder that more than a century after the resurrection, uh, the Didache continues to frustrate those who try to fit it into a neat and consistent picture of the early church history and thought. And I like that quote because uh, the Didache does counter some of what they thought during like the Reformation and during that time of the split of the church. It counters some of it. And, and it's okay because uh, when we study the Didache, it really it, it gives us fresh eyes uh, that will help us see what the very core of Christianity was at its beginning. Uh, And to me, I believe the church is guilty of losing its culture. We believe a lot of times, especially for, I guess, us as Protestants, that 
uh, Christianity started in 1571 or whenever the Reformation hit. That's when Christianity started. Uh, but we lose so many years of tradition and history before that. Uh, we forget about who was the first to be martyred. We don't talk about the early works. We hardly ever talk about church fathers uh, because it always goes to Calvin and all those other guys, and that's where it starts. And just an example, uh, I'm Hispanic, but my family has lived in America for seven generations. And because of that, the Hispanic culture is now very washed out of my life. I do enjoy a burrito. I do enjoy... Uh, the food, but I can't tell you what Mexican Independence Day means. I can't tell you uh, why they celebrate the Day of the Dead. You know, all these things that is the culture of my ancestry, in a sense, um, because it's all been washed out. And, and I feel like that's kind of as our faith and time has passed, uh, we've washed out some of what it meant to be part of the way. Um, and I'm not saying that this is anyone's fault. I'm not blaming any group or any church or any of that. I just think that we really need to take a closer look, look at our roots and our history. And maybe it's in finding our roots and pulling from the Didache that we could really see how we can use them to affect our culture today and how we could impact the people and bring them into the family of God. And maybe the trick or the secret sauce or the hidden formula isn't something new, but it's something old. Um, uh, yeah, so that's just my thoughts on it. Um, and then I'll give a resource that I thought was really good for people to listen to about the Didache. Yeah, I think for me, just looking at it to just piggyback off of what you were saying, is that for anybody hearing us about this, I'm saying anybody, but I feel like most of our listeners are in America considering, okay, Didache, Church Fathers, all this really old stuff. I'm a Christian, you know, I feel like probably most of our people are going to be Protestant mm -hmm. just by... <laughs> Just by guess, I guess. Um, not only when you're looking at history, Christian history for us being in the 1500s, if you're in America, you're even farther removed mm. because America was built on Protestantism. There's no real like Catholic history here mm -hmm. like there is in the Middle East and through Africa and in Europe, right? So just like really when... When the people came over, they brought mostly Protestantism, and we were built on that. So it was like, we're not even around the things to remind us that there was things from before. Mm -hmm. So it's like super cut off. Kind of, yeah, just going along with what you were saying, basically, of just why would you consider it? So it's like, just reflect for a second on where does your understanding of Christianity start? What is it built off of with everything that you know? And for the most part, it would be there. Yeah. So my thought is a scripture. No, but it should be read. Murdoch wants it in the Bible at the back end. In the front. No one makes it to the back. <laughs> uh, but it should be Genesis 1, 2, 3, and then the Didache. <laughs> the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, oh, I finally understand all this. Yeah. Uh, but just uh, another resource that I use for the Didache, it's a podcast called uh, At the Intersection of East and West. Uh, Apostolic Fathers, the Didache by Deacon Michael Height. And uh, I thought that was a really good episode. It was a good listen to. Um, and uh, again, it was Eastern Orthodox. They do hold more value into some of these earlier writings than uh, we kind of know them. So I'm going to go to them because they studied it and they know it. I'm just laughing because as Protestants, I think we do have a bit of bias against Catholicism. Mm-hmm. 
because we're sitting here like, no, yeah, let's look at all the Eastern Orthodox stuff. And I have been doing that. Like, yeah. I still haven't like dove deep into Catholic writings and stuff. Like, I'm familiar with like some of the stuff, but I do feel more like, oh no, I can I can consider the Eastern Orthodox stuff more. <laughs> it's close funny enough. to me. Yeah. <laughs> they're the cousins. We're they're close enough to us. <laughs> that's how it works but yeah yeah all right so this is the dedicate go out and study it go and learn it um and i and i think if you do you're gonna see a good uh good picture of what the early church was and what they were doing what was important to them and you're it's just gonna help i think it's a good resource so i'm chris i'm we are your church friends thanks for listening excluded books of the bible